You are listening to The North Podcast, a ministry of Mount Perrin North in Marietta, Georgia. Hey, good morning, everybody. How are you today? It is great to see you. Great to see you in the room. Thank you for those that are joining online. Yeah. You know, um, the Bible says to give honor to whom honor is due, and I want to recognize um, our longest-serving missions pastor for the last 12 years. Brett Mays has led missions so well. Brett, thank you, my friend. Thank you, buddy. Love you and Stacy. Love your heart for the world and all you do for the kingdom through them and through us. And man, I, I just call it an honor to call you friend and partner. I want you to know that. If you've got your Bibles, take them and turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. I want to talk to you about this theme, build your church. It comes from this passage where Jesus is talking with his disciples and he makes this declaration to them in Matthew 16, verse 18. He says, and I tell you, you are Peter talking to Simon at the time. You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Let's pray. Father, in these next few moments, speak to us. I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide us and direct us. Anoint the words you've given me to say as they go forth. Anoint our ears to hear and our hearts to receive, so you may accomplish your perfect will. And Lord, we'll be careful to give you the praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. So you would think that if Jesus is talking to his disciples and he gives this declaration, I'm gonna build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You would think they would be ecstatic and excited, but they are far from it at this moment. They literally do not want to be here in that moment because the place where they are is a place that is in the northern part of Israel, a place called Caesarea Philippi. In this place, there is a backdrop of what is called, carved into this giant cliff, a pantheon of gods that the pagans worshiped at. No God-fearing person would find themselves in this place. No God-fearing Jew would find themselves in this place. This was a place where you didn't venture off to. This was a place where you didn't visit. And yet this is the place where Jesus brings them to. Have you ever been to one of those places where you walk in and you go, I don't think I belong here. I had a friend of mine, um, I worked with him in Birmingham, and um, we saw a brand new restaurant coming in in Birmingham. Had never heard of it or anything. We talked about it and said, I wonder what that's going to be like. And uh, he said, I don't know. I'll let you know. I'm taking my wife, and um, I'll let you know. Um, I'm not going to say the name. Um, It is based off of a mountain climbing, mountain theme. Um, But that is not at all what it is. He walks into this place, sees the waitresses. They immediately walk out and he picks his phone up and just says, abort, abort, abort. (laughs) He walked in and went, we do not belong here. The disciples are following Jesus, they go up to Caesarea Philippi, and they look at this backdrop of this cliff where there's a pantheon of gods, and they think to themselves, we do not belong here. I mean, there are many places you could take us, Jesus, but not here. But Jesus strategically brings them here 
in order to establish his command to build his church. Why here? Why them? Why then? Because it's at this moment where everything changes in Jesus' ministry. Up till this point, Jesus has spent a lot of time with his disciples among the crowds, among these vast audiences. From this point forward, he will find himself in those places, but mostly he's beginning to bring his time in to spend with his disciples because he's getting them ready to do what he's called them to do. And in this place, there's three things I want you to see. The first thing Jesus does with his disciples is Jesus guarantees that he will build his church. He guarantees he'll build his church. Starting in verse 13, here's what he says. It says, when, the disciple, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And some replied, John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But he said, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has not revealed this to you. You didn't learn this. My Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church. Twelve men who feel like they don't belong in this place. And yet when the world looks at them, they feel like they don't belong in this command or this provision or the building of this church. There is nothing special as far as humanly speaking about these men. They don't have specialized training, haven't been to seminary. They're not even, quote, educated, not even from a seminary standpoint. They, they, they say, people look at them and say, they're not educated. They're not from the right families. They're not from the right part of the country. They're from the wrong side of the tracks. I mean, if you were going to do something great for God, you needed to be in Judea. You needed to be in Jerusalem. These were all from Galilee, with exception of two. All from Galilee. And they called Galilee, Galilee of the Gentiles, which means they lived among the pagan people. Unqualified. And yet, Jesus calls them. So if it's not based upon their skills, if it's not based upon their education, if it's not based upon their background, if it's not based upon the qualities that they bring, why does Jesus think that they can build his church? Because of one reason, the gospel. Because the gospel is not about you and me. The gospel is about Jesus. The gospel is about the great love God has for us. Because here's the reality. I don't want to burst your bubble. I really don't want to hurt your feelings this morning because we have a lot of popular theology that talks about, you know, how, how special we are and we are to God. But listen to me. God doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. He wants you. He created you to have a relationship with you. He doesn't need you to exist. He doesn't need you to spread the gospel, but God has chosen to use us in the proclamation of the gospel because the gospel is so strong. The gospel is God's love for us displayed through his son, Jesus Christ, that he would be willing to give his life as a sacrifice for your sins and my sins, and that he would go to the cross and pay that price, go to the tomb and take our place and rise again so that we might have new life in Jesus Christ. We don't have to live the way we used to live. We can live with eternity and hope and promise promise and future because of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. It is the gospel that changes everything. 
It is not these men who are ordinary or unqualified. It is the gospel. And the Bible says that he looks at Simon Peter, who's the one who makes the declaration, because he says, who do, who do people say that I am? In the backdrop of all of these other gods that people worship, who do people say that I am? And they say, well, some say Elijah. Some say John the Baptist. Some say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. He said, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter says, you are the Messiah, the anointed one, the son of the living God. And he says, blessed are you because only God the Father could have revealed this to you. No human could have revealed this. And he says, so I tell you, I'm not going to call you Simon anymore. I'm going to call you Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church But it's not based upon Simon Peter because he says, I'm calling you Peter. The word he uses, Petros, which means small rock that comes from a large rock. But he says, on this rock, Petra, I will build my church. Two words. It's not based upon Simon Peter or his leadership skills. It's not based upon the disciples. It's based upon the gospel. And it's also twofold. Behind him stands a cliff with all the worship of all the available gods. And he says, on this rock, right here, the place where you fear, the place where you don't want to be, the place you think that no good God-fearing person would be, on this rock in the midst of darkness, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to take those people walking in darkness, and I'm going to bring them out so that they can do like you and walk in light. It's the gospel. And Jesus guarantees that he's going to build his church. That ought to be such a relief to you and me that all he does is invites us to be a part of it and he guarantees he's going to build it. The second thing Jesus says is that nothing will stop Jesus from building the church, nothing. What he says in verse 18 is this. You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, if you read that, you might think, wow, that's, that's neat. I love the turn of the phrase. I love the little phrase he uses, the gates of hell. I love the way that it rhymes. The gates of hell will not prevail. Jesus is not trying to be cute. He's not writing poetry. The gates of hell is not some catchy phrase that he came up with. The gates of hell is a place at Caesarea Philippi. As a matter of fact, here's what it would have looked like back in that time. If you can see the big cliff that's there, this is the temples to all the gods that were available at that time, Rome, the Greek and um, uh, Roman gods. And you can see the different temples. You can see the different places where they can worship. You can also see to the left-hand side... That temple on the left-hand side had an entryway, and then it had a back way that you could go behind it. And do you see the opening that is there? That opening is a cave that is there that was called, and is called, the gates of hell. This is what it looks like today. The temple's gone. The cave is still there. This is the place where they believed that demonic spirits would enter and would leave the underworld and come into the physical world. So when he says this, this is the place of one of their greatest fears. This is the place where they say, I don't want to be any part of that. I got to be honest with you. Um, There's a part of, 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 of demonic and dark activity that people say all the time, I'd love to be a part of that. I just say, no, you wouldn't. I hear people all the time, I would love to watch a demon be cast out. And I was like, been there, don't want to do it again. If I have to, I will, but there's a... There is a 
there is a darkness that is there. And he takes them to the edge of their greatest fear. He takes them to the edge of what they fear the most. And he says, right here in this place, I'm going to build my church. And what you fear the most will never prevail against it. What you think is going to stop it will never, ever stop it. He said, all the forces of hell may try, but nothing will stop the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I love the fact that God has strategically placed us and partnered with us of places where we are in some of the darkest places in the world as far as a little known of the gospel, governments trying to shut us down, demonic activity all over the place. And these are the places where God is still growing his church. These are the places where God is doing things in a miraculous way that is hard to describe. In Fortaleza, Brazil, you heard Johnny O pray for us. Johnny O Martina started an outreach in uh, Bachata. And in this outreach, they went to the slum areas. And when they went to the slum areas, they were going to the least reached and those that were the, the most deprived. And so they took their equipment, they took the music equipment, all the other equipment. And when they went there, they encountered these, these gangs that were there. And the gangs they encountered, they, took, they, they stopped them. They took all of their equipment. They took all of their supplies. They took their wallets. They took their phones. They took everything. They still ministered that day, went home and prayed. What are we going to do? The next day, they decided, it's, we, I don't know, we're going to go back and minister again. So they go back. They have nothing. But they go back and they gather the families up. And all of a sudden, they look out and they see the same gang members coming back. But this time, it looks different. This time, they look and they realize the gang members are carrying all their stuff in their hands. And they're walking back to them. And they give all of their stuff back to them. And they said, the boss, the drug lord, told us, you guys are doing God's work and you're loving his people. And we aren't to mess with you at all. And we're supposed to give all this back. And he made us come apologize too. Listen, when you get a gang member to apologize... God knows what he's doing. God's not afraid of your greatest fears. One of our partners, Hamid, that is in one of our countries that is oppressed by a Muslim government, has an apartment church. And the apartment church was growing and growing and growing, and the neighbors would call and they would complain about it. And over and over again, they would send the police out to stop them. But the police, when they would come and stop them, realized what was going on there. And instead of stopping them, they would secretly meet with them and ask them to pray. <laughs> Hamid decided that he was going to be bold one day, and he broadcast one of the services on the Internet. And the national police, like our FBI, got a hold of it. And they decided they were going to go and shut him down. But, like the FBI does here, they notified the local police. So the local police went to Hamid and said, they're coming. And so they moved to church for that day, and Hamid and his wife stayed in the apartment. And when this major raid of the national police came, it was just a man and his wife enjoying a Sunday morning in their apartment. <laughs> and the church is still growing and thriving today. Can I just tell you, God will take you to the edge of your greatest fear, and he will show you that he's greater than your greatest fear. That God can take you to the place that you don't want to face in your past and he can show you Jesus' power is greater. He can take you to your greatest sin that is weighing you down 
and he can show you that his power is greater. He can take you to the person that you fear the most, and he can show you that his power is greater. He can take you to the reason why you don't get involved in sharing the gospel because of some fear about your neighbor or your family member, and he can show you that he is greater. He can take you to the place of your greatest fear that keeps you from getting involved in a local outreach or a missions outreach, and he can show you that his power is greater, and he can open doors that you think have been closed for years because he's greater. Jesus guarantees that he will build his church, and he guarantees that nothing will stop him from building his church. But this is the remarkable part. He doesn't need you, but he wants you. He doesn't need you, but he wants you. Jesus said when he came in to Jerusalem on the week that he is going to give his life as a sacrifice, the people are praising him. The people told him, tell them to stop praising you. And he says, I tell you, if they stop, the rocks will cry out. In scripture, the Bible says that God can proclaim his gospel through the rocks if he needs to. He can proclaim his gospel through evil kings and queens if he needs to. He can proclaim his gospel through a donkey's mouth if he needs to. But he chooses to use you. Because Jesus lets us be a part of building his kingdom. Here's what he says in verse 19. He says, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. The Amplified Version gives a very good translation of this. I will give you the kings, the authority of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind, which means to forbid, declare to be improper and unlawful on earth, will have already been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose, permit, or declare lawful on earth will have already been loosed in heaven. Do you, do you realize how great that command was when he tells his disciples this? I'm going away, and I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. You know how daunting that must have felt? Like somebody gives you the keys to something that you don't know what to do with. I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And I'm sure the thought is, what are we going to do? He says, but I'm giving you the power of the Holy Spirit to anoint you and know what heaven has already declared to be proper so you can declare it on this earth. To know what heaven has already bound so you can bind it on this earth. I'm giving you the spiritual authority, the wisdom, the power, the anointing, and the favor to do with the keys of the kingdom of heaven what I've called you to do. To declare the gospel and watch me build my church. He literally says to them that he's going to give them kingdom hearts to understand kingdom truths so that we can wield kingdom authority to accomplish kingdom purposes. Not based on your own wisdom, not based on your own power, but based on his. The Bible tells us that after Jesus ascends into heaven in Acts chapter 3, John and Peter are walking to the temple, going to a 3 o'clock afternoon prayer session. And it says, as they walk through a gate called Beautiful, which is the eastern gate, they see a man who is crippled. And when they see him, they encounter him. This man is begging for money. And this man looks at them, the Bible says, as if believing he's going to receive something. But Peter looks at him and says, we don't have silver or gold. But what we do have, we give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, 
get up and walk. And takes him by the hand, and the Bible says the man's legs straighten immediately. And he doesn't walk with them to the prayer meeting. He leaps, and he runs, and he tells everybody about what Jesus has done. The religious leaders call James, excuse me, John and Peter. They arrest them, bring them, and command that they never speak about this again in Jesus' name. And I want to read to you guys. I'm going to fast forward in the passage there, okay? They say, how dare you speak in Jesus' name? How dare you do this? And we forbid you to do it anymore. And in verse 13, excuse me, yeah, in verse 13, after Simon Peter has said, we don't answer to you, we answer to Jesus. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and they realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with him, there was nothing they could say. A miracle that only Jesus gets the credit for. I've been in full-time ministry. I'm in my 26th year of that. I've been a senior pastor for 18 years. And there's a common phrase that I hear from people. And the phrase is, man, I wish we could see more of what took place like was taking place in the Bible. More miracles, more authority, more power. Do you know that Jesus promised us those things in Mark chapter 16? But do you know the context of when he gave us those promises? In Mark chapter 16, he says, I want you to go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized, which means publicly confesses, will be saved. But anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. And these miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name. They will speak in new languages. They will be able to handle snakes with safety. And if they drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. They will be able to place their hands on the sick and they will be healed. You understand what he's saying there? Healing, casting out demons, treading on scorpions, scorpions drinking poisonous things, all those things. Do you know the context of that? He says, I want you to go and preach the good news. And when you do, you don't have to fear any of these other things. I'll give you the authority to preach the good news. Listen, miracles and signs and wonders are not for our entertainment on Sunday mornings. They are for the, prop, the, 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 the promise and the preaching and the authority of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what they're there for. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, when he started his earthly ministry, he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim that captives will be released and the blind will see and the oppressed will be set free and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. The gospel is being poured out to those who are poor, not only financially, but poor in spirit the ones who have been held captive by the enemy of our souls, the oppressed. And God lets you be a part of that. 
And if you wait until you're qualified, you'll never do it. God chooses the most unlikely and the most unqualified so that he can get the most glory. Every one of these folks that are sitting right here, all of our missionaries, they're heroes to me. But every one of them would tell you they feel inadequate to do what God is calling them to do. The very first time God introduced me to missions, I didn't want to go. I didn't sign up for the trip. I didn't want to go. I had just started working at a church in Mobile and had just come into the calling. And my pastor, whom I worked for, didn't come to me and say, would you consider going on a trip? He came to me six weeks before the trip and he said, I've decided not to lead this trip. You're going to go in my place. I said, I don't even have a passport. And he said, that's okay. You're going to drive to New Orleans tomorrow and you're going to sit for a few hours and you're going to get your passport tomorrow. And you're going to lead this trip. And I said, I don't want to. He said, I didn't ask you if you wanted to. <laughs> and then he said, I said, okay, tell me about this trip. He said, well, it's two parts. It's a medical missions trip and we're going to build a feeding center. I know nothing about medicine. Nothing. And if anyone has ever seen me try to build something, you know I know nothing about building anything. <laughs> and yet somehow God brought people on that trip that though I had to lead the trip, once we got to the sites, there was a person that led the medical part of it and there was a building contractor that was with us. That once we hit the site of the feeding center, they were all in charge. I literally stepped back and went, I have no idea. They tried to teach me things. Like they tried to teach me how to lay block to build a wall. I got five of them laid and they look at me and went, hmm, we probably need some more concrete mortar over there. <laughs> I spent the whole week, if I wasn't preaching at night, mixing concrete mortar. And yet God, through the people he collectively put on that team, saw over 600 patients seen that week. And in five days, built a feeding center in the heart of Nicaragua. I've never felt more unqualified, but I've also never been in a place where I see God get more glory than when he uses the unqualified. Jesus takes his disciples to the gates of hell, to their greatest fear, and says, I want you to see this because your greatest fear is nothing more than a hole in the ground. And do you know he's already done that for us? Because survey after survey after survey tells us that our greatest fear is death and what lies beyond it. And because of the empty tomb, Jesus has taken us to our greatest sphere and says, do you see that? It's nothing more than a hole in the ground. And if God has conquered death, hell, and the grave, there is nothing that he will not accomplish. And Jesus has guaranteed that the gates of hell will not prevail and he will absolutely build his church. And he gives you a chance to be a part of that. I need you to hear me. 
when it comes to ministry, missions, I'm not gonna sit up here and give you sob stories and try to manipulate you. I'm not even gonna ask you to give a certain amount. I'm gonna ask you to pray and ask the Holy Spirit what he wants you to do. Because I believe God has already determined in his heart that he's gonna build his church. He's gonna find the resources that he's gonna send them through conduits of blessing that he's gonna pour into us his resources so that they can flow through us into the kingdom. You should have received one of these cards when you came in. I'd love for you to take that out if you would. If you did not, if you'll just raise your hand and keep it up, uh, one of our hosts will get those to you. Um, I want you to understand something. This has a lot of demographic information, all those things, and it has what is called a faith promise that's based on monthly or total commitment. Here's what I need you to know. Well, on the back, you'll see these things. In your brochure, you will see these things. Your regular giving to this church pays every salary at this church so that absolutely none of the money that is given towards missions is ever used towards US-based salaries or anything like that. All of it goes towards missions. We are strategic, we are effective. I'm not here to ask you for anything. In a moment, I'm gonna pray over these and ask God to reveal that to you. Some of you, this has become a way of life, you, you're in. You've already determined that. You're gonna fill that out today, you're gonna to put it in one of the buckets as you go out. Some of you are gonna take this home and you're gonna pray. But all I'm asking you to do is ask God, what does he want to do? Because I'm telling you, he's already determined he's gonna build his church. He's guaranteed nothing's gonna stop it. And he's calling us and inviting us to be a part of it. And what I want more than anything else is you to experience the absolute blessing of knowing that. Because you know what's happened in this last year? Because people have believed that and taken steps of faith. Through our ministry partnerships, 38,320 people have given their hearts to Jesus through world missions. We were able to share the gospel with 362,618 people this last year because of that. And we were able to see 616 brand new churches planted across the globe because of what God is doing. And I want you to pray and ask God, how do you want me to be involved in this? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Heavenly Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I pray that your Holy Spirit will guide us and direct us. I pray for every person that has become a regular part of this. Those that it's just part of the DNA of who they are. I pray that you would guide them as to what they are to do this year. For those that have never been a part of it, maybe the whole idea of this is taking them up to the edge of their fears. I don't know how I'm gonna do it financially. I don't know how I can, I can make a, a commitment to go on a trip. Holy Spirit, reveal to them what you want them to do. Help them to take steps of faith and realize this is a faith promise. No one's calling them and asking them where the money is. It's a faith promise. This is between you and them. But Lord, as you build our faith, you build your church 
And as you build your church, you build our faith. And I pray now in the name of Jesus that your glory will be seen in this place, that your glory will be seen around the world, and that you will do this year exceedingly abundantly above all we can think or imagine, and that you will build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And Lord, by faith, we go ahead and thank you for what you've done in the past and what you're doing right now, but by faith also, we thank you for what you're gonna do this next year through World Missions here at Mount Perrin North and the ministry partners that you have blessed us with. And we ask it and believe it in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Listen, as we worship together, some of you are gonna contemplate and fill those cards out, that's fine. Some of you are gonna take those home in a little while and pray about it, that's fine. But as you do that, I want you to worship the Lord and remember how great God is and remember he's worthy of all of our praise right now.
Amen. Are you excited about what God is doing around the world? I am. I am. So thankful you are here today. And listen, I hope you'll take some time. As soon as we dismiss, make your way up to the gym. We've got a reception. We've got some food for you. We knew you were coming. We baked the cake, all that kind of stuff, you know. But go up there, spend some time with our missionaries and get to know them, introduce yourself and just see some of the great things God is doing around the world. I hope you'll take advantage this week of all the opportunities as well. And then of course, next Sunday, we're going to close it out. And uh, I pray that God will bless you this week. As a matter of fact, I wanna bless you before you get out of this place this morning. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, let's give our response from Psalm 19. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. God bless you folks, love you, have a great one. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you would like to learn more about North, be sure to check out our website at mountparanorth.com. If you have any questions, you can email us at info at mountparanorth.com or give us a call at 770-578-9081. And if you're in the Marietta, Georgia area, we'd love to have you join us for worship next Sunday at 945 or 1115 a.m. Again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.